Hare is Hare literally it's a Hebrew word for probably would translate as insight or a, a miniature epiphany perhaps. Hare is when something just you get it. You get some aspect of something. An, an answer to a question that's been bothering you. Um, a perspective that you didn't see before. Something which you've witnessed hundreds of times. All of a sudden, you get what it's all about. Insight. Illumination. That's yeah. what the R.A. is. Is that related to the Torah? Patience. Yeah. <laughs> I just got back. So how what's our so is something that if a person is spiritually alive, you have a good amount of hours per day. There should be there should be you should be generating daily hours. I'll give you an example of a hour I had yesterday. It's a funny hour, but it's a hour nevertheless. I was on the train travelling towards the centre of town. And as I looked out of the window, I saw a mother and a daughter walking past with the most grotesque, elongated faces. It was so bizarre. Kind of, I looked at them and I looked again. And then what happened was, they walked past that particular panel of glass into the next, and their faces transformed. And I realized that the glass on the train had some type of fault in its smoothness. And then I looked at other people and it came out that every person that walked through that particular plane of glass happened to have the same grotesque, distorted faces. So, so, so that, that itself is not our aura. That's just a bad bit of glassmanship on behalf of the, of the train people. Um, but what the aura is, is, is what you do with that. Now, I don't know if we've discussed in this year, but it's something which is relatively contextual. It's a bit Hanukkah And it's the, how do we view art? Because Greek, the Greek culture, one of the, exempl- one of the things that was exemplified was by its art, Greek art. Um, and when you think about art, and you think about Greek art, and you think about modern art and expressionism, so you start to see something which I believe is extremely pertinent to our the way we live. Greek art focused on the exaltation of the human body in its physical in its physical beauty. The muscles superbly formed, the aesthetic glory of the human form in its normal presentation. The Olympics were conducted with naked athletes because they wanted the body in all its glory to be expanded. And there was no notion of, let's say, what's behind the body. The body itself was valuable at face value. There's an interesting trend in art, which, which about the time when the camera is invented, everything starts to change until the camera, so people could rely on artists to capture historic scenes, famous personalities. When the camera became a viable means of recording pictorial data, 
data. Um, as a result, it plunged art into a crisis of identity. The role of the artist was to faithfully represent on a two-dimensional surface the illusion of three-dimensional space using things like perspective and shading, etc. Well, the camera ultimately will always do a better job. It really will. And therefore, if that's my goal, I'm always going to be second best. So art started to move in a very different direction. And you had the realists, and then you had the impressionists, Monet, Manet, Pissarro, etc. Yeah? 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 Anyone knows vaguely? I can see you coming from a very cultured background. Um, the impressions were, were, were a very innovative group, group of paintings. I, I call on you to go and look at some of their works because they, they discovered a technique known as optical mixing. The way the paintings are painted are a series of small paint blobs juxtaposed to next to one another. And you probably have seen many impressions painting in your lives and you never just know how to describe them. They're paintings which, the closer you get to them, the more, bl the more blurred they are. As you move away from them, they start to take on incredible focus. It's fascinating to see the genius of the men that painted them. The way they did it was, instead of if they wanted to paint a scene, uh, a tree, which was green, instead of them using a green paint from their palette, they juxtaposed a little bit of yellow with a little bit of blue. And they worked out that when the eye from a distance sees those two dots of color juxtaposed, there's something which is called optical mixing, which the eye mixes the colors and it forms a green. Now, what's the difference? Why don't they just use green from the, from the, from the palette? Because they realize that when you see that kind of green, it has a luster and a radiance that the actual palleted green wouldn't have. And they created entire landscapes, beautiful. Monet got these sunsets, which are breathtaking. Garden scenes. Beautiful, beautiful works, the Impressionists. But they did something that the camera couldn't do. It created a vibrancy and a life that they justified the need for art as opposed to just photography. Then, after the Impressionists, you move into the post-Impressionist era. People like Cezanne, who, who started to almost be the father of modern abstract art, suggesting elements of, of, of cubist forms in his works because he realized that perhaps it's more true to present the forms than the way they manifest themselves in all the details by following carefully the contours and lines. Which of course led to the many different schools of modern art, the futurists, the cubists, as an example, the cubists, the, the idea of cub cubism. Um, they, they look like, if you look at the picture at face value, it looks like a distorted. Often people when exposed to different types of abstract art will make comments as futile and as puerile as, Oh, my three-year-old could do better than that. <laughs> so this is where the, this is where the, actual, the, the, the insight comes, the ha'ara. And we'll go back to the plane of glass in the, in the train very shortly. The art can be one of two things. Art can become a dialogue 
or art can be a monologue. A monologue is when someone speaks and you listen. You don't participate in the development of the idea through a discussion. Realistic art, as an example, I'm oversimplifying it, but Greek art is in a sense, it's a monologue. It's saying, this is it. There's no need for me to come in and scrounge around, dig deeper to find what you see is what you get, which was the whole thrust of, of, of the culture was the reliance on the senses for perception and what we can't measure and quantify doesn't need to be dealt with. The limitations were emphasized, emphasized the physical world, the physical world. When you hit the level of abstraction, so then what becomes crucial is of course the painting, but as important as the painting is who's looking at the painting. If you have a person that's disqualified as a chartered accountant and you put it in front of an abstract piece of art, he'll he'll look there, he'll spend probably between probably three and five seconds, and those th- the the three and five seconds that he spends we probably had something to do with the resale value of the painting other than the actual painting itself. You take someone who's been trained in art and you look at this work and you can sit there glued for, I don't know about hours, but certainly half an hour, maybe even an hour. I, but w- w- what's the difference? How come, the, and when I say accountants, I don't mean all accountants. I mean most accountants. I'm joking. Accountants are not a, it's not a species of humanity. It's a, a profession, one hopes. And so when you put a person who has no, let's say, foreknowledge, has no, it's like putting a person in front of someone speaking Chinese and he doesn't understand Chinese. He's never been taught Mandarin. So this person speaks to him in all he has are sounds, meaningless sounds. To him, they just gobbledygook. So now, if he doesn't know there's a language as Chinese, he'll say, <laughs> the person can't speak. There's no mechanism of communication. But if he understands the way the language works, he can sit there and listen for hours. Because there's meaning. The, the, there's a dialogue can begin. There can be a relationship established between the source of the information and the receiver thereof. A painting, in the modern sense, becomes a dialogue. The artist doesn't communicate in a language that you automatically know. It's a learned language. So when you see, for example, Jackson Pollock's paint splattered canvases, you'll think to yourself, what is that? Jackson Pollock was an artist. If you look at his paintings, and literally, he took paint and he just splattered it across the, across the canvas. Totally random. You see Mark, Mark Rothko, he has these gigantic canvases, which often are just a single color, or maybe one color with a stripe of a different color, geometric shapes. Look at them and you say, what do you mean? You know, the, my house painter could have done that job had he been given some canvas. But when you develop a language, an interaction, and you start to question what was going on over here, why did he do that? You're talking about people that they were trained. They had artistic skill and ability. They wanted to represent things with faithful hand-eye coordination to the scene that they were trying to portray. They could do it. So why did they choose to do that? Then the discussion begins. And what happens is you realize 
that the essential dialogue is not the painting at first glance, but what's behind it. And it only can have meaning and import if you enter into that discussion. The world is modern art. The meaning of life is not available at surface level. However that I had about people walking through a particular plane of glass in a particular train, on face values, oh, okay, there's a fault in the glass, so it makes people's faces look funny. But if you look at life as interpretive, as a dialogue, so then you ask for meaning. And you say, do you know what, from that experience, it transformed my perception of how I relate to a discussion and ideas. And to take my train example of glass a little bit further, let me explain to you what I mean. I recently went. I was a member of an audience of a discussion, a panel discussion. There was a discussion which involved a there was a play in the play it told the story of a Jewish grandmother that moves into Chicago and from Eastern Europe fleeing the pogroms she has a daughter and in the plot of the play she throws all her that the writer of the play presents as old world superstitions and anxieties of persecution onto her daughter. A Jewish feel she has, but most of it is bound up into anxieties and irrationalities. And the granddaughter who leaves possibly the play is not a hundred percent explicit, the fold of Judaism, and it describes this, this kind of this classic story of, of Jewish immigration in the New World in America, which I suppose also true of perhaps Australia and South Africa. The pattern of the declining connection to that old world and the generational anxiety, etc. So after the play there was a four people all from different perspectives analyzed the play. One was the director of the play, another was a clinical psychologist, the third was a life coach and the fourth a Reberton. And they were all questioned about different aspects of the play. And for me it was fascinating to watch. Because the director of the play, when she discussed the play, she discussed the dramatic turns, the play as a work of theatre, the depth of the characters. When you spoke, when the clinical psychologist spoke, she showed how the characters displayed traits of gen transgenerational anxiety, and how the signs that the, the symptoms that the daughter manifests were so typical of what she's seen in her own work. When the life coach was asked to speak, she showed how it's so blatant in the play that the reason why these women suffer these anxieties is because they weren't taking care of their bodies. She's a health and wellness coach and had the only cared for their nutrition and had regular exercise kind of set up, things would have been way different. And the Robertson put across how you see what happens when people lose their connection to faith. So it was almost caricatured how each person 
the, the roles of the panel discussion, in fact, <laughs> were far more delineated than the roles of the actors themselves. It was as each person, based on his profession, acted out his profession in the analysis of the play. The clinical psychologist looked at the play and saw psychology. The director saw drama. The life coach saw health and wellness. And the representative saw Yiddishkeit. So that was... I'll tell you my horrors on that. And then hopefully one day we'll get back to our, the plane of glass, how in the train. So my horror in that was twofold. First of all, the knowledge that people have got perspectives on a given subject and that everyone sees something different wasn't new to me. Because I know that just as if, just like, we occupy a different physical space and when we look at a given point in a room, every person inevitably is seated in a different position and will see it, will have a different visual perspective of the object of focus. So when I look at that cup, I see one side of the cup with a particular part of the pattern and when you also look at it, you see something very different. Not because the cup's two different things, just because we're looking at different parts of the cup. So I understand that just like people see different parts of a given object, visually, emotionally, we've all got our own perspective based on our character traits, based on our socialization, based on a trillion different factors. So when we have, if I would put into the middle of this room a idea, so everyone would feel differently about that idea based on the emotional perspective. And intellectually we all have different perspectives because we've got different knowledge bases, we've got different ways of processing information. So when we look at an intellectual knowledge which is thrown out into the middle of the room, everyone's going to see something different. So for me, the Kiddush that you had four people, each one seeing a different side of this central point known as a play, that wasn't the Kiddush. What was me was beautiful about the realization I had, and I only had it last night, and I saw the play, had this discussion about three weeks ago, so it's taken time to process, but it was that because they were introduced with a particular perspective, their perspective was visible, and therefore when you saw four different opinions, you saw four dimensions of the same thing. The play had a dramatic component, psychological component, a lifestyle component, and the Torah component, the Judaism component. They, those were all present in the play. Each of the characters in the panel discussion brought out those perspectives. So as a member of the audience, it was fantastic because I received a fullness of what was present in that piece of theatre. The problem that we have in our discussions, and this is my aura, is that we don't have clearly defined roles. So the, 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 the distortion occurs, I am coming from my perspectives. So when you share my perspective, I haven't defined what my perspective is and who I am and what I'm seeing. So you look at me and you say, no, you're getting it wrong, Siegel. This is what it means. And I say, Schneider, <laughs> Missing the point. This is what it means. And then Shannon joins in. He says, both of you are on the wrong boat. This is and we don't realize that each of us is just expressing that aspect. Good. Now this is all just the preamble to the plane of glass. When is that true that we all see a perspective? That's when the glass through which we're looking at the scene beyond the glass 
is not faulty. In other words, the scene that occurs behind the lens of my life, behind the lens of my own internal vision, so my lens is not a distorted lens. That means the people who are on the outside of my lens, I see through my lens, were the lens to be removed, they'd be the same people. But when my lens is distorted, <coughs> so then granted I have a diff different perspective, but the perspective doesn't exist. The perspective does not exist. That's what I learned on the train yesterday. That's what I saw on the train yesterday. Those people had these grotesque elongated faces. They didn't have grotesque elongated faces. The lens was a, pr the lens was a problem. So that, sh that goes on to mean as follows. Yes, people have got different perspectives. But sometimes those perspectives are not viewing the thing that they're looking at. They're distorting the thing they're looking at. That's not a different perspective. That's a distortion. That's called looking at life as modern expressionist art. I don't look at, I don't go on the train and say, oh, look at those faces, when they go through the window, they look like this, and they go down, they look different, this is amazing. Oh, funny, Mr. G and then I phone up the train and say, you have to get that glass replaced, it's really confusing. Rather, my life becomes a dialogue of internal exploration, and the messages of the world become principles, become little catalyst for deeper exploration of how life works and then imagine just like when you walk through an art gallery every picture is pregnant with such depth and meaning when you walk through a street every building every passerby every screeching halt of the car <laughs> that has to break to avoid the fact that you walk in the middle of the road because you're so <laughs> deeply engrossed in your thoughts you haven't realized that there's actually traffic uh, all these things start to play a, a part in the slowly evolving pursuit of truth which is what we have for connection to the creator who communicates to us on a daily basis in such a way that if you don't invest in the dialogue so then like the person that has no knowledge of art goes to the painting and says oh my three-year-old could have done that so too, you'll walk through life saying, oh, my three-year-old could have done that. But when you become attuned and you start to have a language, and you see that there's a language of communication that you have to learn in order to engage in this dialogue with the Rebbe the messages he sends you, the lessons that you can learn, so then life becomes the most exciting, exciting place to be. And then, through Ha'oras, you're able to destroy the modern enemy of vagueness. No, not vagueness, boredom. Boredom is such a modern enemy that people who don't have electronic devices on them, even though they have no inclination towards the halachic study, will open up halachic books in boring sharing. They'll do it. Why would someone want to open up a boring halacha book in the middle of a musashir? Clearly they are driven to distraction. Um, now some time for questions after that somewhat drone of a monologue. Schneider.
So it seems to me that the more one has knowledge, the more variables there are uh, that will you know, increase their knowledge, uh, the more they may seem to have insight. However, I think it will do the opposite and will create more of a tunnel vision and more of distortion the more they have knowledge because they are going to, fo going to focus on that one specific area of their life, whether they are the Rebbitzin or they are, you know, whatever profession they have, the, it will be more distorted, I think. And, and this knowledge is board-based. You say if you specialize in a field, so you'll become an expert in the field. If you have a broad-based knowledge, so then you'll become multi, you'll, you'll have a, br br a wide mental, f when mental field. Also, I don't know if you could uh, elaborate more on, I was thinking about a distortion that, uh, well, it's interesting about this distortion of different lens. Give an example so of a distorted no, lens. What I was, was, was going to say is that uh, it's possible to have a distortion of a distortion of a distortion. And I was just thinking, if somebody's on drugs, they have a distortion, and then the way they think is already a distortion if they're not thinking always the right way because of this non-broad non way of knowledge and then on top of that the world could be a distortion uh, in specific scenarios it may not be complete reality I mean you have someone who's acting out a role that there's not really them seen by someone who's acting out a role that's not really them in an altered state of consciousness yeah. what you described is college campus life haven't <laughs> you? say something relevant Kevin okay. Mog you don't have to say anything you know, I just <laughs> the same one as you. Yeah, okay. That one I'm <laughs> Gary, Jay. Sorry, you just lost me a minute when you said the glass is distorted. I thought you were going to give us more about what the actual glass is. So the glass is like this. So I'll give you... What is the glass? What is the glass? The glass is, is the way I perceive life. For example, everyone's got a different perspective. So that's not distortion. That's a different perspective. You, see, you know, the fact that you see that part of the cup and I see this part of the cup is not because your vision is distorted, neither mine. It's that we're sitting in different places. But what happens if I had, Khalila, some type of visual dysfunction that I saw two cups instead of one? And I didn't know I had that dysfunction. So I said, there are two cups there. And you said, no, there's one. In that situation, my perspective is distorted and yours is correct. Even though mine is different to yours, but the difference there is a, is, is a difference which is not based on the source from which I'm deriving my understanding from. In terms of taking that to an emotional level, it becomes complicated. But let's say, for example, you have some traumatic history with a particular kind of person. People who've got big, thick eyebrows. As a small child, a person with thick, big, thick eyebrows used to throw you up in the air and terrify you. And then you, you, meet, you meet a person who's got thick eyebrows. So you immediately feel the sense of animosity towards him. So that's a distortion because the social dynamic doesn't dictate that. He happens to be a nice guy. So you see something which is not there. Intellectually, if you've developed erroneous ideas about how things work. So you see, you are being the full belief that the world is flat. So when you look at the horizon, in your mind, you see that's where the world ends. And if you manage to get there, so then there'd be this massive drop that you could fall off. Do you understand? So, so we said that, that distortion is, is, is not having Torah, for example. Like you, depends what you're looking at. It depends on what you're looking at. The distortion, and it, it goes from the obvious to the extremely subtle. I'm not sure if I've told you about the experiment that they did. They actually put people, and they put electrodes on their brains, and they did a simple experiment. They paid them different amounts 
to look at a series of different pictures and to evaluate the, how much they liked the art. Now the pictures each had an emblem of the gallery from whence they came. They told different participants in this experiment how much they were being paid and some of them they told the gallery was sponsoring them fully and others they said they're not being sponsored by the gallery at all. And they found in terms of activity in um, what's it called, the frontal lobe, when people had been paid enormous, not enormous, large amounts of money by a particular gallery, whenever they'd see that emblem on the, on the picture that they were choosing, there'd be excitement. They measured in their, in, their, in their experiment. But in terms of the results, people who were paid a lot of money by the gallery happened to choose that gallery's pictures as being the best. People who were paid by a competing gallery also would choose the other galleries when they ask the participants, do you feel the fact that you were paid by a given gallery affected your ability to choose which art was good or not? They all point blankly stated, absolutely not. It had no impact on my decision-making process whatsoever. So you see how distortions can occur even in an extremely subtle way. So one of the ways that we have to see is everyone's got different perspectives, but we have to have a perspective. No distortion. But that's not the topic of the Shia, right? The topic of the Shia was Ha'oras. Learning to engage in a dialogue with life. Devon. Okay, so to backtrack away from the main focus, which is Ha'oras, but how do you know then, in mind, what, a, what is a distortion and what is merely a counter Yes, and that's one of the hardest things, correct? Like, for example, I've got my, I've got my own take on my life. And sometimes it causes me grief because I happen to think, as discussed in the beginning of the year, that what I teach and give over is so amazing. So when people feel bored and reluctant to attend the shirim, which I think are marvelous, so then I assume that they are insane. Whereas were I to have true perspective, I would realize that what I give is almost content-free and boring. And hence, people who do not attend are justified and prudent. Good, I'm glad you all agreed with that. Um, won't be seeing any of you tomorrow. Goodbye. Robert. Yeah. Um,